Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues. At 866-575-8111, that's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, issues of the day, as always. As you know, we talk about different things that are happening, um, whether it's the Iranian deal, what's, what's happening in, um, uh, with ISIS, uh, the Syria situation, the Russian deals and such. But it's often worthwhile kind of remembering how things are back home. And as you know, one of the big topics of the day, and continues to be, is the topic of abortion. And it's, uh, it's, it's something that I have truly come around to see the horrors of that issue. Um, it, it is um, morally empty. It is hard to justify. And we dare not be that country. We talked before about how China, for example, looks at abortion, and for that matter, life, generally speaking, as uh, is really meaningless. It, uh, it could just trounce on anybody anytime it wants. Uh, your life is as valuable to the Chinese government as, a, as that of a cockroach. Okay, so you wouldn't miss the life of a cockroach. Why would you miss the life of an aborted child? That's the way they think. And we said at the same time that wouldn't you rather be in a country where people are squeamish about something like abortion, right? Would you rather be in a country putting all things aside and, and, and how horrible the Chinese government and such is, um, it, 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 the, the, would you rather be in a country that treats abortion that way? Don't you want at least some squeamishness on the other side? In other words, a, a, um, a balancing where people basically say, you know what, uh, abortion may be legal, but we gotta, we got to kind of create some sort of uh, boundaries involved in, 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 a, in the abortion realm, right? You would think that. And there should be. But what we're seeing more and more in the abortion world, in the pro-abortion world, is that they continue to push the frontiers to mainstream it as much as possible, to make it more like the way China treats abortion. In other words, that it's a perfectly natural act that's no different than you going in to remove a wart from uh, your skin. Okay? That's, that's the way China looks at it. And I ask, do you, my dear listener, would, would you be okay with that? 
if, if we adopted that kind of attitude where it's so not an issue that we review it just like the removal of a ward. If you're okay with that, then, then let me know. Write me, info at lurie-law.com. Tell me why you think that would be a good thing. I don't think that you would. Uh, I don't think that any of us would. But okay, enough about China. Let's talk about how America is moving toward the same wart-like approach toward abortion as China has. So recently, there came, well, let, let's, let's talk about kind of the history of how it's slowly getting more and more this way. Uh, the latest that I can remember in a major way is when Hillary Clinton decided that she would not vote against a late-term abortion bill. Why, you ask? Because she felt it would lead to the slippery slope where more and more abortions would be deemed illegal. So she refused to vote for a late-term abortion bill, which basically said, you know, late, late-term abortions, in fact, where they're partially born or whatever it might be, that that would be an inappropriate use of the abortion technique. Even that, she, she was unable to say uh, that, that she found that to be vulgar and inappropriate and such like that. Now, you could argue from uh, a Hillary supporter's point of view that, uh, well, the reason why she did that, Mr. Lurie, is because, you know, usually there's riders and such to attached to all these bills and everything else. And she, uh, you know, if, if she said yes to this, well, then there'd be all sorts of other problems with it, too. And it's usually tied in with something that's toxic. No. In that particular case, it was a very clean bill. In other words, it was just about late-term abortions. So she decided to go forward with it, and, uh, and she, she spoke her piece, and her rationale was a disgusting rationale. It's like saying, I don't believe that we should outlaw murder in the first degree because it might lead to the slippery slope where you might allow uh, you know, people who jaywalk to be incarcerated for life imprisonment. Okay, that's, that's the way she thinks. But surely, even if you are pro-abortion, surely you understand that there's a, there's a difference between, I mean, you must think that. We don't think that there's much of a difference, but you must think that there's a difference between before 20 weeks and after eight months. I mean, clearly, uh, you understand that difference. But... But anyway, why, why does she do this? Because there is this effort to normalize, to mainstream the notion of abortion as a convenience thing, as something that's maybe even good for society. Uh, there was a recent book, well, it's not so recent anymore, called um, Freakonomics. And here was a book that kind of tried to analyze different aspects of not just necessarily economics, but the business world in terms of the oddities that really are in play. So, for example, it talked about gun control. It talked about um, it talked about the drug world and how really what's what's an operation. He talked about the economics of the drug world. Uh, but the most interesting chapter to me was the last one. I was on board with every one of them, every one of the chapters. Um, some of it was a little too cynical for me, but the last chapter really uh, bothered me. He suggested the authors are two authors suggested that the reason why the criminal rate the crime rate had gone down so dramatically in New York City in 1992 and thereafter was not because of Giuliani's broken window policy where they're actually going to start enforcing the laws 
and where he fired all the police and, and, and got, got rid of all the corruption and such. No, no, no. The real reason why it improved so, so much in terms of the, the reduction in crime, because of all the abortions that had occurred in the past 20 years prior to that time, that's the reason why. And their logic was that uh, because aborted babies are the ones that are not wanted, well then, um, the not wanted babies, you know, the, a wanted baby doesn't com- is not as likely to commit crime as a an unwanted baby when they grow up. When they grow up, of so. course, yeah. Uh, so therefore, you know, c- c- crime is usually usually occurs in the in the late teens and and early twenties, and therefore, this is uh, you know, ni- 1973 had passed on to 1992. And don't you know, these unwanted babies would have been committing crimes all over the place. Because they would have been the window of children who would be in their 20s at that era. Right. And thus, all of those potential 20-year-old criminals are now not with us. Right. Um, Never mind the fact that abortions were happening anyway. Okay. Just never mind that. Uh, But but we can admit that there were were far more abortions after Roe v. Wade. We, We know that. A staggering number. Nevertheless, it's, a, it's an utter falsity because if, it, if that were true, then it wouldn't just apply in New York City, would it? It would be everywhere. Right. You would expect the crime rate to go down in Chicago, Los Angeles, Dallas, St. Louis, St. New Louis. Orleans, Detroit. Yeah, and it, it didn't. It didn't. The crime rate more or less stayed the same in those countries. And the, the drop was so significant in New York City that you have to ask yourself, why is it drop so wildly greater in New York City than it was in virtually any other major metropolitan city. Yeah, and also it ignores a fact about the legalization and destigmatization of an action, which is that generally the action then applies to the members of legitimate society and not illegitimate society. In other words, under class people, we're getting the abortions before 1973, whether they were illegal or not. Right. By having it not only legalized, but then legitimized by society, now people from the suburbs could comfortably get them. Right. Those are the people who, when having illegitimate children, were most likely having children raised, though illegitimate and that, you know, there might be a father in the home or there might not be, will at least have stable grandparents helping out and such. So it's, it's that the stat they cite is almost the complete opposite of reality. It's an opposite of reality for very simple reasons. I mean, you, you, you can't make an argument that applies only to one city when, when it's, it's a nationwide law. So it's, it's, it just goes poof, the argument. And that's why, putting aside my personal animus toward the abortion world, because uh, I'm, I'm pro-life, I'm not pro-choice, uh, putting aside my animus of, of it, uh, you know, I, I like the truth anyway, right? And if it were the truth, then, then I would say, okay, well, that's a fact that I don't necessarily like. I would rather have the, the world uh, increasing crime than to have so much crime committed uh, in, in the name of reducing crime, right? So, but, but it, I put that aside because I just want the truth. And the truth just doesn't flow from those pages in the book. Uh, you, you, if it does not apply to Chicago and, and uh, Los Angeles and everything else, well, then there's something very flawed about your presumption. Your premise is entirely wrong. 
Yeah, and it also it actually did apply to Los Angeles because crime was dropping in Los Angeles. But during those eras, Los Angeles had Republican mayors doing very similar things yes. as New York's Giuliani. It, it, but the point is, it has to cut across every town and every city. That's right. Meaning that the crime drops had to do with policing right. and law enforcement, not who was existing and who didn't. That's right. Anyway, so yeah, it was a, it, but, 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 yeah. but let's not go there. Right, I, but you I, did say something that I thought needed to be addressed, which uh-huh. was what, when you were talking about Hillary Clinton, which is so emblematic of all liberalism. I think you'll be happy when I say this. All right. Bear with me for a second. <laughs> which is the utter lack of being able to call anything uh, that has a distinction a distinction. Yeah. There's a difference between before 20 weeks and after eight months. Right. How, even, uh, even, even in the own and the liberal mantra, who are they're so supportive of the Roe v. Wade thing. Even Roe v. Wade said that after three months, it's unacceptable. Right. So, so they they they, they like that they, supposedly. Now they want to extend it beyond. Anyway, the point is, I, we're trying to show how it's been mainstreamed over and over again. So. We gave the example of what Hillary Clinton did, and and, the, and, and then this book about um, I call Freakonomics, and then other aspects of it of uh, of the abortion world, where they try to say that this is a normal thing, um, you got to do what you got to do, and that uh, and, and then you have Obama talking about how uh, a woman should not be punished by having a child, right? So again, it, this notion. That abortion is appropriate because it's it's a it's it's a tremendous inconvenience and a punishment to use Obama's own words for those people that must deal with uh, an unwanted situation. Okay, now we come upon what I consider to be the latest and greatest of the mainstreaming of the abortion issue, or the lowest and the worst. Okay. Uh, there's a new book out, and this is from redstate.com, but it just, you can find this anywhere. It's called uh, Sister Apple, Sister Pig, an abortion indoctrination children's book. Okay, that's I mean, that's the subtitle that Red State gives, but the, the title is called Sister Apple, Sister Pig. Of the book. That's the title of the book. That's right. Um, and I'll just read to you uh, some important salient points. It starts off, art imitates life, and then life imitates art. But artist Mary Walling Blackburn has written a children's book so ghoulish as to inspire the worst dystopian nightmares our society has ever dreamed. The book is called Sister Apple, Sister Pig. It's published by Eflux and available as an ebook for free. The book tackles a topic not usually discussed with small children abortion. In the book, little Lee is looking for his or her sister. Lee asks Papa, is my sister in that tree? The, the father says, you could find a sister in the tree if you wanted to. Lee is Papa and Mama's only child for now, although there once was a sister. Lee alternatively, uh, sorry, but Papa and Mama could not keep her. Where does sister live, leave, live now? Lee alternatively looks for his sister as an apple or as a pig, with Papa dispensing such wisdom as... If you, could, if you would like the apple to be your sister, Papa replies, but the winter is long and you would have to eat her. Ha ha. Okay, this goes on and on about the normalizing of the abortion situation. And they talk about how inconvenient this child was to them and how it was okay. 
uh, because, and it was a right thing for the parents to do what they did because now they have more time for this child that they did want. Okay? Lee comes to the conclusion that her aborted sister is a happy ghost, quote unquote. And this is from the book. Papa remembers that the sister ghost is on Lee's mind. Lee, you have some good reasons to not have a sister right here and right now. Maybe you will have another sister when there's more time and there's more money. Lee might not be listening, or perhaps Lee is speechless. Lee does not understand. There is no answer. Lee calls out, is it time for lunch? Papa understands that Lee is confused and also hungry. It's time for lunch. And there you have it. Abortion on demand. This is from the article. For no other reason than Mama wants one, an aborted sister, sister is just a happy ghost. I'm sure that Lee, Lee will grow up well-adjusted with no further questions. Pren, why didn't you abort me, Mommy? Do you love me more than sister or concerns in the world? You see, folks, what, what this is trying to amplify is try to encourage people, and for that matter, young kids, to think in terms of convenience and inconvenience. When you don't like something, well, you kill it, right? This is, this is exactly the mantra that they announce right now. It is, um, it is so, to me, to my mind, so horrific, this book. This is maybe more dastardly than anything that I've seen in China. This is as evil as Mein Kampf. Yeah. I mean, this is because it it, it's a complete contradiction of good moral values because moral values are extremely easy to follow. Until they're inconvenient to follow. That's right. That's the whole point of moral values. Yeah. We do what's right not because it's easy or when it's easy. We, we do what's right when it's hard. Right. And they're expecting this young child to appreciate Papa and Mama, you understand, for, for engaging this in abortion. That they did a wonderful thing, you understand, because they wouldn't have been able to take care of the, the first baby that they did abort and the baby that they, they did not abort. And presumably another one. So they're doing such a wonderful thing, you understand. There's, it's not just convenience. It's, it's virtue to abort in this book. They're heroes for having aborted and made, and made such a mature and wise decision. That's what they're trying to convey. Whereas you and I would, would look at it and say, this is irresponsibility. Um, this only encourages a, a recklessness in the world of sexuality that is specifically um, rejected by God and the Bible and, and otherwise, and, and simply common sense for that matter. You, you just don't have this attitude. But here, they're completely inverting the whole abortion world, that those who seek the abortion, they're the responsible ones. And those that don't have an abortion, those are the ones who, who refuse to kill a little fetus that somehow they're the reckless ones. You see how they've inverted it? Yeah, they're being reckless because instead of being able to afford to take two children to Disneyland or one child to Disneyland, they now have to take their two children, one of which they've been burdened with, to Raging Waters instead. Yes. Because they yes. can't afford the good place. Right. They Instead of being able to send both kids to, or even one kid to an expensive private school, they can send one to the expensive private school and deprive him or her of his brother or sister and instead go to a lesser school or any of the other luxury accoutrement that West Side yes. dandies would prefer. Can I make one other point that I think is just so shocking that, that just 
went up my spine like a bolt of lightning. The sister is a happy ghost, permanently and eternally wandering the earth in a purgatorial state. I know where you're going with this. The baby doesn't even get to go to heaven. Right. Well, I thought you were going somewhere else with this, which is that if if it's if it's just a, a piece of tissue, then how come it's a ghost, right? If it's just a piece of Good tissue, point. right? Then then why why are you even elevating to the status of a ghost? How does it have a soul, a spirit, anything like that? You see, but but you know we're expecting consistency among this crazy positioning that they have. So maybe it's actually I mean maybe it's a spy within maybe it's a a pro-life person actually writing this to, to show how ridiculous this argument is, but I doubt it. I, I know that it's a, a pro-choicer who's, who's behind all this. Look. Because I, if it was a pro-lifer with their integrity, it would be an unhappy ghost begging to go along. Oh, you didn't notice that I'm here with you? Right. I'm knocking on the door trying to experience. I, I want to, want to want add one other thing, then kind of move on to a different point about this very topic. But we talked, you gave some good examples of how now they can't go to the, the more expensive private school. They have to go to maybe a Catholic school, uh, and maybe not the most desired area of town, and then go to private school, which is cheaper there, whatever. Okay? Or maybe, God forbid, they'll have to go to public school, you know, something like that. Or drive a domestic car. Right. And then I'll give another example where you know, now they'll have to eat regular vegetables as opposed to organic vegetables, right? Oh, sacre bleu, right? I mean, this is the mentality that people think, that uh, they might have to watch um, a regular TV instead of, you know, high-definition dense- high TV uh, or, or anything else that you can, can go along with. Yeah, play golf at a public course instead of join the country club. Sacre bleu, again, Sacre. as they say, Ugh. right? Um, you know, or they might have to, uh, have to wait for the iPhone 6S <laughs> as opposed to and, and have an fi- iPhone 5 instead and, and do with, without. That's doing without. These days, right? But that's how that's that's what you do as as a parent, as anyone who's looking to save money. That's what you do, and it's not a big deal, okay? Now, uh, and you know, we do well in our lives. I wouldn't say that we're wildly rich by any stretch, but you know what? I don't know if I'll buy the next uh, iPhone six. It's already out now. I think I'll wait till the next model. That's why, because I'm, I just don't want to waste the money. Uh, And I I skip uh, every three generations of the iPad. That's when I buy the next iPad. That's the way it works for me. And that's the way it should work for anybody. And and here's the next point that I've noticed. Have have you ever heard any parent saying, gosh, well, we had four children. What were we thinking? We really shouldn't have had that fourth child, right? Now look at the mess we're in. No one says that. No one. And the reason why is they make do. They find a way. And somehow or another, people get to help out. Maybe it's it's close relatives, maybe it's close friends. They find ways of making it work. So it's it's got completely an utter falsity when people say that somehow it's an inconvenience. You find a way to make it part of your life, and you deal with it. And also, what an insult that is to past generations where people didn't live in times of peace or plenty like we do now. Yeah. Forget peace. I mean, let's just assume it's not a time of war. But the tenement situation in, in New York 
between the 1920s and the 1940s, for instance. Yes. It, the large it, families all packed in one room, and they may do. They may do. I, That's exactly right. Look, he, he, the, the whole problem with the pro-choice movement really boils down, when you think about it, is narcissism and selfishness, arrogance. All those words come to mind. That all that matters is how convenient it is for the parent there's never a sense of an obligation to have children. We, we've kind of come full circle on this. It's a very weird thing. It's um, a parent has a child because it's something that gives the, the parent joy or may give the parent happiness today. That's not the way it should ever be looked at. The way it should be looked at is you, the parent, you have an obligation to have children. To, to bring release these souls into the world and then to make them good people, good souls. That's very much the Mormon way of thinking, by the way. They, they, they uh, encourage a lot of births for their, their, uh, their, their congregation. And I like that. I think they've got it right when they say, we want to release these souls. They're waiting to be released. And you, as parents, can, can provide... Many many kids. Now, well, you, I think that you and I are similar in, in that regard, but I, I look at it as an even bigger obligation, which is this. We've been part of a society and a culture that has, for the first time in human history, built something that's worth preserving. Yeah. And the only re- way and the only reason that America and the Judeo-Christian tradition will continue is if people like us have children like yours and mine. Yeah. That we can, along with making them good souls, teach them what is valuable to keep about these cultural distinctions. Well, uh, it's, it, let's make it simpler. My mom said it so well to me. And, and I, I don't think if she realized how profound the words were to, to, to me. She said, good people should have a lot of kids. Okay? That's what you just said. Good people should have a lot of kids. I had a Sunday show on this, and um, that's, the, that's the way it works. Now, liberals are very funny in many ways. They, and, and, you know, it's not, that, it's not as if they invented this phrase, but you've heard it before. Pay it forward, right? Someone does a good deed for you, you pay it forward to the next stranger down the way. Okay? And that's good. Okay? We should all do that. Somebody's nice to you, you can be nice to them. But it shouldn't have to be that way. You, you, you should be nice to them regardless, right? You, you shouldn't have to be good only because somebody was once good to you. That's the, the liberal mantra. You know, it's only logical if, if uh, it only makes sense if you've gotten some benefit out of it, right? That's, that's their logical mind at play there, that the reason why I, the atheist, or I, the liberal, will be good to somebody is because I want them to be good to me. It's a, it's, a, it's a logical trap that doesn't actually make sense at the end. I can explain that all day long, but we're not actually here to talk about that specifically. So let's take them at the pay it forward mantra. Okay. If you're paying it forward, right, well, then haven't you received the, the incredible blessings of goodness in America and otherwise from your parents? Didn't they give you uh, the great education, the food, the shelter, the, the community that you, you so wanted, that sense of uh, spirituality and, and religion, didn't they give that to you? Well, if, and if they have, 
then shouldn't you be paying it forward also? Why, why does it all stop at you, right? Or you and just one kid? Why? Why does this have to stop? Because it's inconvenient for you now. Do you think it was convenient for your, for your grandparents who had you know, one of seven children? I mean, that's, but that was never convenient. Of course not. All day long, all they were doing was changing diapers, <laughs> teaching the kids, making sure they were fed, getting to the, them to school. And working their fingers to the bone. Yeah, to provide for them for, for tuition or otherwise, making sure that they were properly met, making sure they go to the doctors and everything else. That's all they were doing, 20 hours a day. And then putting them to sleep and making sure that everyone was well fed. And, and praying every day and every morning that everyone is healthy and happy. And yeah, that's the way it was. You know, it's so and, 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 and then for you now to say, well, you know, more than one child. I mean, that's how do you do it? You know, it's so interesting about what you just said. The, the left and liberals with their environmental agenda and all of that they always promulgate on us, always tell us about sustainability, about the zen, it comes around, goes around, about the flow of life. And when it comes to a river, oh, we can't dam a river, right? They're damming the river of human existence. Right. They're saying, no, with me it ends. Right. That's exactly what they're saying. And how greedy of them to decide it ends here with me. That's why I say that the pro-choice movement all boils down to narcissism, selfishness, and arrogance. That's, that's it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's terrifying when you think about it and how deadly these that the notion of such narcissism really is. Yeah, it's murderous. It's, yeah. Absolute, it's, it's murderous of the people who are the victims, and it's murderous of our society that gets depopulated by this kind of mentality yeah. that can't defend itself or continue on to the future because all the people who would be participating in it no longer are here. That's exactly right. We have an expression in Judaism, and you've probably seen it in the movie um, Schindler's List, which he who saves one life saves the entire world. And the concept behind that is a very smart one, is you never know how one life will then flourish into so many other great, great people who will contribute so much to society. How many Einsteins are waiting out there in our future, right? How many Leonardo da Vinci's? How many Steve Jobs? How many of them are out there? And, and so by refusing to have a kid or one kid, more than one kid, you're, you're, in a sense, you're depriving the world of its own future. That's what you're doing. And it's selfishness in the extreme. And that's even worse when you snuff out those potential lives. That's what I'm trying to say. Once they've been created. Yeah. They, they, the, the snuffing out is, is but a, a, a product of this attitude. Like, no, no, no. We're not going to inconvenience ourselves. No, sir. This is the way they think. And I, I fear for us because... At the end, it can only be about moving forward, seeing yourself as part of a larger picture. Because if you don't see yourself as part of a larger picture, whether that's because you don't believe in God or because you don't believe in America or you don't believe in Western civilization, if you don't see that, then there won't be a future of Western civilization. There won't be an advancement. And you're one of the foot soldiers. Your obligation is to have kids, and hopefully a lot of kids. Now, look, you may not be able to have kids. I get that. Okay? Maybe you found yourself behind the eight ball in terms of, 
you know, where you are in your life and you just can't have more than that one kid. Fine. But try. Trying is what it matters. Okay? And for God's sake, please don't. Don't abort. You just don't know how you're affecting the future. Every little, every person counts. I, I'm very passionate about the subject. As you know, I've, I've turned a lot on the subject as well. But I see it from a larger picture. And it is truly selfish, narcissistic, arrogant to refuse to see this. I'm Brock Lurie. We'll talk with you real soon. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Ben Shapiro here with a man I have tremendous respect for, my good friend, attorney Barack Lurie. Barack, you've been practicing law for over 24 years. Do you have some important advice about lawsuits? Well, Ben, the law deals with conflict, right? A good attorney should help ease a lot of your anxieties because he should have perspective and know how to gather his evidence. But his main mission should always be to pursue the path toward quick resolution or settlement. Well, how do you do that? Simply by working to remove the emotion from both sides. Once you gather information and think rationally and compare strengths and weaknesses in a case, you can work on what's fair. The truly great lawyers know how to do that and quickly. You can see, folks, why I so admire Barack Lurie and all the work that he does. For all your business and real estate legal issues, call my friend Barack at 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. Listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. So I'm looking at the recent law in Indiana that speaks about the issues of uh, religious freedom, and it's a it's a new law that kind of makes sense in, in hindsight. But it's, it's it's strangely it's a defensive law. What is this law that we're talking about? It's a law that essentially says, look, if you, as a business owner or otherwise, do not want to provide services to somebody because they're asking you to do so, and, uh, that, that and it violates your religious sensibilities, such as, for example performing services on behalf of a gay wedding, well, then you, you should be able to do that. You shouldn't be forced to, to do it. So Arizona had a law similar to this, and then they struck it down uh, by, by Governor Brewer, no less, because it was too vague in the enforcement, in, in the application. So, but now here they have a law that's a little bit more specific, and they say, look, you know, to the extent that you uh, don't provide services uh, because you're opposed to this, well, then that's okay. And, of course, we agree to that. It makes sense that you should... But, but the fact that we have a law on the books about this is what's so disturbing, that we have to have a law on the books about this, that because but for this Religious Freedom Act, you understand, then it would be appropriate to punish somebody who, say, doesn't want to provide bakery services for a gay wedding or floral services for a gay wedding or what have you, right? It shouldn't be this way. And so now the attack is upon this law, which is defensive in nature, saying that, that even to have this law at all, to, to allow them some sort of quarter 
on religious grounds is somehow inappropriate. This is bizarre, right? This is a, a turnabout in the law that we have been talking about all the time. Uh, you, you can predict it, that, that predictions are that uh, things are going to get worse and worse or more crazy in the, in the gay marriage debate. And, and for that matter, the marriage debate altogether, such that, as we said before, we're, we, we predicted that there's going to be more polygamous arrangements. There's going to be arrangements of different kinds, God knows how. And interspecies uh, um, uh, marriages, relationships, or what have you. And, and other bizarre things. I mean, why not, uh, why not get married to your, uh, to your cousin? Why not get married to your grandmother? I mean, it, it, if, if it's all about love, then, then it shouldn't matter what the relationship is. You, sh- you should be able to choose whoever you want to be with for legal purposes, for the state to recognize you as a married couple. Okay, you want the benefits of marriage? It shouldn't matter. Okay, so we, we talked about that. But one of the things we began to talk about as well is that the ripple effects in other respects. One was that they would start turning the law on everyone else. That if you didn't embrace this fully, that if you had any objection to it yourself, then you would be persona non grata, at least in society, generally speaking. So if you're a florist who refuses to produce flowers for the wedding, then you're going to be hit with all sorts of fines. And uh, you're going to be basically forced to, to work for that wedding. If, um, and then it gets even worse than that. Some countries now are requiring that a church marry uh, gay couples. And, if, you know, and, and the only exception they make is, well, a particular reverend or priest or otherwise may have an objection to it. That's fine. But the church itself has to provide or find somebody that will perform it. Okay, so which begs the question, what happens if none of the reverends want to perform a gay wedding? What do you do then? Do you hire somebody to, to do it on behalf of the guy? Do you, it's an independent contractor situation? I, I don't quite get it. So, and where is this? This is like the first time in history where this has been the kind of mantra. Um, I mean, let's take, since they always use the example of white and, and black, and that somehow this is the new civil right phenomenon that's going on. That's well, as if banning intermarriage is the right. between different races. Is right, right. What if <clears throat> you know? Does that mean that I'm required to date so many African American women? You know, in my life. What if I? What if I don't want to? What if I marry? I want to marry only somebody who's Jewish, or date only somebody who's Jewish. Am I being racist by that? I mean, are, are, am I, I going to be judged on that basis? What if you have to try out alternative um, intimate lifestyles to make yes. sure they're not right for you? That's right, yeah. So uh, is, that, is that being homophobic by not having a homosexual relationship, right? I mean, uh, you may say, say that this is absurd, but we're, we're living in absurd times, whether you realize it or not. I mean, it's, it's like the fish who doesn't realize he's in water. Uh, anyone looking at this objectively 100 years ago and... Uh, probably a hundred years from now, we'll look at this as a crazy time where anybody could marry anybody and it was kind of crazy and things got out of hand. Um, and, and it's getting out of hand. It's, it's just a, a bizarre time. Now, we talked before on, on a previous podcast about how you can extend this logic where um, if, if you want somebody who, let's say a, a Palestinian... Um, uh, falafel store, okay? 
a Mideast, uh, Middle Eastern food store. Um, they don't want to uh, to cater to a bar mitzvah. Okay? They just don't want to. And yet it might be the best stuff in town. They don't want to do it. Are, are they going to force? Or is this Jewish family now going to force this, this uh, falafel store to do it? No. Of course not. You can... That they're losing the business. That's their problem. They lose a lot of money as a consequence for that. But you're, you're not about to, to force them to do that, right? I mean, it seems ridiculous. Or if you, if you don't like that, then how about the example of a, an Arab uh, flag-making company, right? Or it's owned by some Arabs, let's say, or Muslims. And they don't feel like making an Israeli flag. They don't want to produce it. The order is to make a bunch of uh, flags because there's some sort of you know, pro-Israel demonstration in front of the Civic Center, and uh, they don't want to. They don't want to participate. They don't want to help. Okay, are you going to force them to do that? I mean, it, it goes on. It, it continues on. Why not have an atheist force an atheist to perform at a bris, meaning uh, not to perform the bris itself, but to to take uh, photographs or otherwise to provide you know uh, food or catering or flowers, baking services, anything like that. What if it's, what he totally objects to the notion of uh, male uh, circumcision. Totally object. I, I, it's actually absolutely offensive to me. Okay? He doesn't want to do it. We're going to force him to do it? Right? I mean, this is, we always talk about how being liberal means you don't think things through. But this is what's happening. And, and I, I just wish they would think this through because it doesn't stop here. Do they think that the only thing that, that can be objected to is, is gay marriage? That this is it? Right? I mean, what, I saw a cartoon recently where a, uh, there's a, a black uh, guy who owns some sort of ice cream stone, store. And uh, there's two KKK members. And they're, ask, they're obviously asking for ice cream. And they, they're telling him, no, you, you have to sell it to us if we want it. Right? So... I mean, and that's not even not even marriage we're talking about. That's pure racism. You know, <laughs> the guy doesn't want to give it to them because of their beliefs, right? I mean, they have their they're entitled to their beliefs. Where does it stop? And it, you know, it's even worse um, because if you go back in your mind to what the homosexual activist movement was in the late seventies and the mid eighties. Uh, when there were legitimate grievances for how gay people were being treated in... Yeah, the marginalized. In, yeah. yeah. We in the conservative movement were assured by activist leaders over and over, this will never result in redefinitions of marriage. This will never. Uh, this is just equal rights because we're so tired of being beaten up, which, by the way, is a legitimate gripe and concern, obviously. Of course, yeah. We're just concerned about hiring practices, <clears throat> firing practices, uh, like the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. Uh, you know, a man who uh, has AIDS is not receiving medical uh, coverage for his insurance. And he gets fired in the process, too, yeah. for, for having so, AIDS. Yeah. So those issues were legitimate issues. But so often, the leaders assured us in the in conservative America that would never result in this kind of chaos. And now... The initial tricklings of the next step are showing up in academia, the normalization of pedophilia, that it's just a condition. And yeah. those of us who have been through this wave and crest and break on the same-sex marriage issue can see the next wave coming. We I, see it a million miles away. I understand. And just to, not to correct you, but to uh, 
to maybe make a comment here. We are not conflating homosexuality with pedophilia. Um, you're simply saying that it's uh, in the sexual realm, pedophilia is now being opened up. And we're not, we're not equating that we're to homosexuality. I'm talking about being the next cultural sexual norm, right. or, or should I say, uh, deviation that needs to be normalized. Well, again, we're not talking about homosexuality as a deviation, but they're saying, you are saying that, we, I guess what we're saying is, you've you got to be careful of the consequences of, of the homosexual marriage debate. That's, it's as simple as that. And, and it's not genuine. It's not intellectually honest to say that there are, will be no further consequences. Because just like you pointed out, they had assured that they're not going to be pursuing the marriage route. They, they did want civil unions. They wanted recognition uh, and legitimacy as regular human beings. And by golly, they're entitled to that. But to, they, they said they didn't want marriage, and now they want marriage. Now it's a civil right. And if you don't do it exactly the way they want to, then you're homophobic and you're deserving of a boycott and all sorts of horrible things. Yeah, and the whole, this whole problems that we're seeing now could have all been circumvented so easily if built into any of the laws in the movement would have been a, a total exemptions for religious institutions, for individuals with moral clauses. Build that in yourself. In fact, for all of the good or the flaws of the Indiana law, what I wish the Indiana legislature did, which I think would have been much more of a chess move than a checkers move would have been uh, we're going to completely legalize same-sex marriage with these exemptions built in. Yeah, no, you can do that. Um, and it's very easy, by the way, in law to say, if you're ever worried about a particular issue happening, you can say nothing contained within this law or this document, as the case may be, shall be, mean to, uh, shall be um, uh, construed to mean that it's acceptable to um, to engage in uh, you know discriminatory conduct, one way or the other, like that. Okay, that that's that's all you need to do. So in other words, you're allowed to exercise your religious freedom, but it should not be construed as a vehicle by which you can now uh, engage in actual discrimination against homosexuals. See, that's all you need to do. That's all you have to do. Yeah. And in, in other words, in other words, they they simply need to say, this is a shield, not a sword. Right, and okay. also the uh, a total protection for religious institutions because along with the normalization of pedophilia being talked about in the college campus is now the talk about going after religious institutions' tax-exempt status if they're not part of the... Yeah, now here, and this is where I really wanted to turn this conversation so you, you, you segued very nicely to where I want to go. Bam. <laughs> Thank you very much. It, it struck me as very interesting... Um, the, the recent debate about whether churches should be forced, that's right, forced to perform gay weddings. And I don't care whether they say that, uh, well, you know, one particular reverend objects to it, so they've got to find a reverend who doesn't object to it. It doesn't matter. The church itself on 123 Main Street um, is now being required to have a gay wedding service in its church, right? Now, you would never require a, uh, a, a, a mosque to uh, sell pork in its, in its uh, Howard Halls, right? Likewise, not, never in a synagogue. Um, you, just, you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't say, well, you have to you know, cater and allow people who provide non-kosher food 
uh, for your Jewish uh, ceremony, right? You would, you know, you could say it's discriminatory. Why are you favoring these uh, these kosher markets? Well, because it's it's my religious belief. Well, it, it's it's discriminatory toward those people who don't believe in Judaism, right? It, it would be easy to say that. Why isn't it exactly the same thing here? But of course, they don't think that through. But here's the fascinating thing. You know that history, both for the Jews and for Christians, is replete with example after example of people, uh, of empires, commanding the Jews or the Christians to believe in false gods, right? You must do this. You must pay homage to Caesar, uh, to, the, to the statue, to the, to the gods that we tell to you. To the temple of Apollo, to the temple of Hera, whatever. Right. Yeah, and if you, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you, you must also pray to our Apollo. And we rightly say this is offensive, this is wrong, and we're proud of those Jews for fighting back, right? This is what they did with the, in the story of Hanukkah in particular, right? Where the Maccabees and so on. They refused to, to pray to these idols. And, and wonderful, good, good news for them, they... You know, the eight days and, and everything else. And there are many other stories just like this. And the Romans um, attacked the Christians for their belief uh, because they wanted them to believe in the Roman gods and uh, they wanted to destroy Christianity. Okay. Is this not exactly the same thing? Yes. It's, they are demanding that we change our very belief system because they don't like our belief system. We say that homosexuality is, a, uh, is, is not commanded by God, it's not liked by God, and, it's, and putting that aside, that to sanction a marriage between a man and another man, a woman and another woman, that it ain't right, and that it's clear from the Bible. So they believe, religious people believe, that it's completely um, um, sacrilegious to their notion of what God wants. And then you're telling the churches themselves, it's one thing to, to demand it in the secular world, but actually demand it of the churches themselves is no different than telling those Jews to pray to false idols. Right? Or to eat pork in order to convert. And so often the the irreligious conversion or idolatry practices that the society forced on the faithful included with it humiliations. And this one, this set of, if you will, faith conversions that we're seeing culturally here in America include the same humiliations. Because it's yeah. humiliating for us. Yeah, the, the, that, that if you were to take a picture, a snapshot picture of today's uh, a forced gay ceremony in a church and then bring it back in time to only 20 years ago, the leaders of that church would say, how could this happen? This is an abomination. I mean, it's one thing if you want to engage in that behavior on your own and we don't, we don't seek to criminalize it or anything else. And, and if you want your own rights to be respected as a union, God bless you, but that you do it in, in our church? That's right. That, that is uh, truly... Uh, engaging in idolatry in the way that that we would have contempt for i would I would even call it a, a defilement of yeah. the 
Because idolatry is, is one thing. Defilement is another. And in a way, it's kind of both, both violations. Well, well, think of it from the, you know, the, in the, the story of Jesus when he went into the temple and he overturned all the tables and uh, was extremely upset seeing how he, he'd uh, turn the temple, how everyone had turned the temple into a den of thieves and how, how, how sacrilegious it was. He was upset, and rightfully so. But aren't we doing the same thing? Yes. And and we, you wouldn't expect pigs to walk around in in a in a kosher market. You wouldn't ex- or you wouldn't force you wouldn't force an, an Arab marketer um, in a in a toy store, for example, to sell uh, pig toys or pig banks to the extent that that's offensive to them. You wouldn't ex- you wouldn't expect that. But shall we do that now too? And and what they're doing by forcing gay marriages in a church itself, no less, under threat of losing their 501c3 status, meaning their tax-exempt status, that is a true act of, of demanding sacrilege to their church. And, and, and it's no different. It's just no different whatsoever. The state is now telling you what you must believe and that your belief system is incorrect. You're, the God that you pray to, Ari, Barak, or anybody listening to this podcast who is a devout Jew or devout Christian, that the God or Jesus that you believe in, well, it ain't right anymore because we've decided what is right because we know better. That's, what's, that's where we're at. Yeah, and it also goes to such the core difference between liberalism and conservatism and you often hear me on this podcast talking with you and on my own and in life I'll talk about there are people who are say they're liberal and I will tell you about them and go no that's just a conservative who doesn't know it this is where the clearest definition of liberal and conservatism is which is whether you hold views on different issues abortion same sex marriage etc one way or another, if you're okay taking away the rights of one person to give extra rights to another, that's the core of leftism and liberalism and progressivism. Yeah. A conservative, and most of the people who hold liberal views who are what I call conservatives in waiting, conservatives in utero, <laughs> immediately see the distinction and find a problem with it. Similar to the story I once told you about, I was talking to a guy and he thought healthcare was a right. And I mentioned to him, well, if healthcare is a right, that means a doctor is your slave. Well, right? Yeah. Well, because the doctor <clears throat> is now losing his rights to sell his labor in order to fulfill your rights to medical attention. Yeah. If healthcare is a right, then why stop there also? Of course, then you can ask, well, why isn't housing a right? Why isn't having a car a right? Why isn't having a computer are right. Yeah, in all of these cases. Why isn't, why isn't having clothing a right? I mean, it, it, it's obviously silly, and it, you can extend it beyond everything else. But this is the, the bubble that I'm talking about, and they don't even realize the, how offensive this notion is. And, and they don't even realize that they're acting on behalf of the empire against the Jews and the Christians in history. Right, and taking their rights away. But, but that's what I'm saying. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is because it's no, that's why I say it's no different than forcing the Jews or the Christians to believe in their idols in order to to enjoy the benefits of citizenship in Rome or otherwise. And if you didn't do that, well, then by golly, you're going to be persecuted. And that's exactly the same thing. Why is this not exactly the same thing? 
And it just it, it struck me as an epiphany. And we're just letting it happen. And, and no one's kind of shouting from the treetops saying, you know what, my friends, I, I you know, this, this gay marriage thing has gone too far. You, you, you wanted to be married and, and have the right to be married. Uh, we, we, we think that we thought there were some consequences to them to that. We, we, we believe there are consequences to that. But by golly, you got that. And now, and now you have the right, if you want to go to a, 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 a justice of the peace and get married, you have that right, and the state recognizes you as married just as much as, as any heterosexual couple would be. But then you kept on going, didn't you? And then now you're coming into our church and telling us what we must do. That's where we get angry. That's where we draw the line. That is our red line. Don't tell me what to believe. Don't tell me that my Bible, which says that homosexuality is something to be, um, uh, to, to not be pursued, that it's not the ideal. Don't tell me that it's wrong. I believe that it's right, and you will not tell me to think otherwise. You are just state, the state, and the state is not right. State is run by men. The Bible is run by God. I will follow God. Yeah, and then look what happens when a state like Indiana stands up for itself and exercises the red line you were just talking about. And look at the media hysteria. And they scream from the, from, on every television and in front of every camera and in front of every microphone how because Indiana act this way, rights are being taken away from such and such, when really those in the media and the culture are taking the rights away from the people of Indiana who are trying to do nothing but defend themselves. Well, of course, it's the, it's the um, Orwellian rephrasing uh, and describing and descriptions of uh, the way things are, such as uh, voter suppression instead of uh, demanding ID laws, right? So they call it voter suppression laws. They call it um, pro-choice instead of pro-death. Right? It's, it's all the euphemisms and the Orwellian euphemisms, the Affordable Care Act. Right? It, it, nothing about it is affordable. Nothing about it provides care. But they'll, they'll still call it affordable care. And so why are we surprised when they look at the Indiana law and say that, that somehow it's taking away the rights of other people, when in fact it's, it's, only taking, it's only preserving the rights of those who enjoy religious freedom and want to continue enjoying the religious freedom? We must fight. I mean, and, and this should not matter, my friends, whether you actually are a proponent or advocate of gay marriage. You must stop right there. You must join us and say, listen, I'm all for uh, gay marriage, but you should not be requiring any church, any synagogue, any mosque to perform gay marriages. Yeah, or any baker, any florist, any dress designer, yeah. any person engaged in any commerce to do anything that violates their own conscience. Yeah, you may think that that's a, a cool thing for the time being, but but watch out, it's it's going to bite you later on. Yeah, and then the analogy to Jim Crow is completely the opposite as well, because the Jim Crow laws required every business to engage in segregation, whether they want to or not. These are just some businesses that don't want to participate in a certain specific behavior. Yeah. And shouldn't they be free not to participate? Do you really want a cake baked by someone who doesn't want to have you have a right. lovely marriage till death to your part? Well, this is the, uh, 
this is the law of unintended consequences and how liberals do not think things through, generally speaking, right? I mean, I mean it, it, you can, and you can make the same argument regarding minimum wage, okay? You want minimum wage? Okay, well then, are you ready to deal with the, the consequences of that? That's right, higher unemployment and higher prices for all your goods and services. And so everyone suffers in the process. But that's okay. You can feel good for the moment that you've got your $15 an hour wage or $20 an hour wage. Um, and, and likewise here, they think that they're going to force the churches to, to engage in um, gay um, marriage ceremonies or to force people to um, perform floral services, bakery services, and so on, and that nothing will, and that no, no bad can come from that. Right? Okay, well, we live in a society where people do have strong religious beliefs, and they do say, I, I'm not going to perform these services. I'd rather not be a florist anymore. I'd rather not be a baker. I'd rather not be a doctor, for that matter. If you're going to force me, for example, to perform abortions, I'm against that. Okay? This, this hospital doesn't perform abortions. Thank God. Some hospitals are still like that. Right? If you go to St. John's, they don't perform abortions. They won't even perform uh, uh, tying of fallopian tubes, right? They won't even snip. It's a Catholic hospital. It's a Catholic Fertility hospital. Fertility is sacred. Yeah. So what's what's to stop somebody to say, well, you know what? We believe in abortions so much that you must provide abortions. Hmm? The state has said so. This is uh, this is the way that liberals think, and they just don't think it through. It's just it's too easy to to open the door and say, look here. This is where you're going. And, and we always end up going there. Always. And they pretend while we're there at the moment that it can never happen. And then it happens. And then they forget that they said that it could never happen. Anyway, that's, that's where we're at with this. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm concerned about, my friends, is that we don't even see that we're right back to square one of the days when the Roman Empire and the Greeks... And all the other empires that tried to destroy the Jews and the Christians, that they were forcing the Jews and the Christians to convert or die or otherwise suffer a miserable existence. This is where we're going, and it's no different. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.